this morning, we're in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. So whatever you have, a phablet, a phone, a tablet, uh, a a real Bible, whatever a real Bible is these days. Uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 is where we're going to be. Two things first, though, before we go there. Number one um, is the passage right after it. In Luke chapter 8, the first three verses really give us a context to understand this passage in. So it's not on the screen, but in Luke chapter 8, the first three verses say this. After this, Jesus, so after what we're about to read this morning, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So we know that. That was his mission, right? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Then it says the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. So the wife of the manager of Herod's household was actually a follower of Jesus, which is really interesting. And then it says Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so you've got not just guys. We often think that you just had the disciples. You just had the apostles. But not at all. Not at all. There were a lot of women who were turning to Jesus, hearing the message, becoming followers of his, and a lot of women who had means, right? Women who were maybe kind of that Proverbs 31 lady who, who's staying up and burning the midnight oil and then up before the sun comes up, you know, I think they had a tag team. I, you know, half of the women stayed up till, you know, at, and then half of them got up. Because you can't, you can't burn the candle at both ends. We both know that. But this is what these women were doing who were supporting Jesus and his ministry. There were women involved. And so in that context, understanding that the disciples and what they were doing were in large measure supported by women who were helping them, and some traveling with them, some uh, serving and helping in whatever venue they could, we get to chapter 7, and we see the story of this woman who anointed the feet of Jesus. And it begins to make sense that she's very likely one of these women, one of these women whose lives were changed, her life was changed, and she began to serve Jesus by, through literal means, through following Jesus around, through supporting, uh, through missions giving what he was doing. The second thing I want to say before we get to the passage is, you remember we've talked about this a number of times, when Jesus was asked about, you know, what is the greatest commandment? So the guy who asked him was, uh, was very orthodox, was very righteous, was very knowledgeable in the law of Moses. And Jesus begins to answer his question from that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. He's heard that. I mean, he's probably recited that several times a day for decades. And Jesus was just spitting it out to him. Love the Lord your God. Well, well he knew that. But then Jesus plucks this, this commandment out of Leviticus which is full of commandments, if you know Leviticus. And he connects this commandment in Leviticus to the one in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that he was very familiar with. 
So you not only love the Lord your God, but then the second one is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, this isn't on the screen. So I see there's something up there, but that's not it, whatever it is, oh, unless they found it. But that's not it. So love your neighbor as yourself. So in the passage today, this passage is an example of Jesus living out that second that is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. It's an example of it. So you could go through, you could go through all of the teachings and all of the uh, instances of Jesus' involvement uh, on the planet right there in Israel, right when he walked the earth. And you could, you could decide which part was him loving the Father and which part was him loving his neighbor as himself. He was always doing one of those two. This one, he was doing this one over here. He was loving his neighbor as himself, and we're going to see that. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And this is how they didn't sit down in chairs. They reclined. They laid out. The tables were low, and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. As you can imagine, there's all kinds of stuff going on here, right? She's a sinful woman. You can imagine what that meant. And here she is wiping the feet of Jesus. So when the Pharisee, verse 39, who, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, man, if this guy were a prophet, he would know, he would know uh, what, who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So Jesus knocked, and Simon just opened the door. Jesus is about to walk through. Tell me, teacher. Here's what he tells him. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he just forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Not which were the most thankful or which was the most happy or which went through the bigger party, but which one will love him more? Now, 500 denarii, if the research is correct, that's about two years' worth of wages. And 50 is about 10 weeks' worth of wages. So let's just say if somebody made 60000 a year, it'd be $120,000 in wages, versus $12,000 in about two and a half months of wages. So would you rather be forgiven 120000 or 12000 right? It's a lot easier to pay off 12000 than it is 120. So he asked the man, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, you can tell he's a little reluctant, I suppose, he says, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, but he was still speaking to Simon. So this woman is there, and he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and 
you did not give me any water for my feet, which would be what the host would do. And he wasn't much of a host. He wasn't the host with the most on this one. He didn't give him any water to wash his feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which would have been consistent with a good host. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. He didn't do anything to refresh his guests. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So this guy says she's a sinner, and Jesus says, hey, he affirms it, her many sins. But look what he says, her many sins have been forgiven. They've been forgiven. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Here's the question. Has anyone really been forgiven little? That's the question we've got to ask. I mean, who's going to say, yeah, I mean, I've lived a pretty good life. I've just been forgiven little. You know who was saying it? Simon was. You know who else would say it? I'm sure I've thought that before compared to, you know, you, right? When I compare myself to you, whoever you happens to be in front of me at the time, it's easy maybe for me to say, oh, I've just been forgiven little compared to you. I mean, your life is a mess, right? All the stuff you've been about, the story you have, you've had to been forgiven a lot. But see, that's the myth. That's the fallacy that we only have to be forgiven a little and that somebody else has to be forgiven a lot. So maybe we could take Jesus' words and we could change them a little bit, which sounds terrible, right? Here's what I think he was teaching here. But whoever thinks they've only got to be forgiven a little is only going to love a little. See, when you compare yourself to somebody else, you can always look better, But see, you've got the sinners on this side, and then you've got God on the other side. You've got righteousness, and you've got sinfulness. You know, but we say, but we say, yeah, but but I'm but I'm better than this one, and this one has more sins than I do. But God doesn't see us like that. He just sees us. We're sinners, and He's righteous, right? He's holy. It's like saying, you know, if we're trying to jump to the moon, and I can jump, you know. Who does those verticals? Who's got like a three-foot vertical here? Anybody got a three-foot vertical? If you had one, would you raise your hand? Do, 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 do people have three-foot verticals? Yes? No? Nobody knows. Doesn't anybody in the NBA in this room? Right? So let's say, let's say I could jump 14 inches. Play it safe. If I bend my knees, I can jump 14 inches off the ground. Right? But, but Sharon down here, Sharon can only jump... 10 inches off the ground. So, hey, I'm a lot better off than Sharon is. I can jump 14 inches. But we're talking about jumping to the moon, right? It's, it's, it's insignificant. So whatever difference I think I have with you or you think you have with me or we think we have with somebody else, it's insignificant. None of us is forgiven a little. We're all forgiven all of our sins. We're all forgiven all of it. So, Whoever thinks they only need to be forgiven a little probably loves little. 
The other side of that is true. Whoever knows what they've been forgiven of, man, they're thankful. And they love a lot. So now look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, which is for the crowd, because look at their response. The other guests began to say among themselves, who's this guy that's forgiving sins over here? Whatever. I mean, who is forgiving sins? We don't forgive sins. This guy down here... This guy down here thinks he can forgive sins, and he's the one with, you know, the lady at his feet. What's going on here? Jesus, now that's a good question, by the way. Who is this one who thinks he can forgive sins? Yeah, that's a good question. Who is he? He's Jesus. He's somebody. He's somebody. He's everybody. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Not your goodness or your works or anything else, but your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this woman, two things about this woman. Number one, she's not the same lady that the other gospels talk about who brought this very expensive perfume and anointed him uh, on his head. It's a different story, a different woman. But the lesson in that one is the expense, right? The expense, the extravagant worship, the break of aces, as old-time Chuck Swindoll said it years ago, and some of you would, would remember, she broke the vase and she poured out all this. That's a different story. This one is the, is the one that Luke, Luke doesn't include that story. The other three Gospels do. But Luke includes this story because it's not about the cost of the perfume. It's about the person. It's about the woman. She's a sinner. She's on the outside. She's probably a prostitute. You know, that's how she was making her money. But the second thing about this woman is she's not that anymore. She's changed. She's come to Jesus. She's placed her faith in Jesus. She didn't become a believer at this event. She was already a believer before she showed up. She was coming because she heard, this guy who changed my life, he's going to be at this house. I'm going, and I'm going to take this ointment, and I'm going to, I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to show I'm going to show my thankfulness and my gratefulness and my love to him. He's there. She doesn't care who else is there. She just hears that Jesus is there. She doesn't care that when she shows up, her reputation precedes her, and some people who don't know that her life has changed, that she's been forgiven, they're not going to understand. She doesn't care how it makes Jesus. She's not thinking about that stuff, how it makes him look. See, Simon is thinking, when he sees her, he sees a sinner, When Jesus looks at her, Jesus sees her worth. Because when Jesus looks at any of us, he sees a sinner. (laughs) He sees a sinner that that he loves. Simon viewed her for how she made him look at his party, at his house. Simon viewed her for what she was doing to Jesus' reputation. But Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus viewed, viewed her for what he could do for her, how he could minister to her, how he could help her. Simon looks at her as a sinner, but Jesus looks at her as somebody who is desperately wanting to express her love to him. And it's very different. You know, there's this common thing with pastors when they get together and talk. I've heard this. I might even have been guilty of it a time or two, where they say sometimes it's a lot easier to just hang out with sinners than it is with church people. I mean, you've probably said it before. Why is it that seeming, you know, people that are, have nothing to do with God, they're like nice. 
They would help you. And they won't, they won't judge you. They could find out something about you. And the first thing they would think is, oh, that poor person. And sometimes it seems like religious people, the first thing they think is they're going to go to somebody else and say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Why, why is that? Because of mercy. Because there's a lack of mercy. And Simon is a perfect example of a religious person. So when I say church people, I'm talking about religious people. Very religious people often don't have that gift of mercy. But sinners, man, they're all in the group together. They all know they're all struggling together. They're all in it for each other. They have mercy on each other because they know, because they're experiencing it, they're going through it. But a person who thinks they're not a sinner and a person who's checking off the boxes every day, then they're not the type that can have much mercy. Last week, I was able to attend a church. Uh, Saturday night, I'm on the internet, and I'm looking for churches near me. I didn't ask Siri because Siri never understands me. So I just went online, you know, churches near me. And I'm looking at churches and realizing, wow, you know, yes, we need to plant more churches. We need to plant more churches everywhere. There's so many communities that don't have a good church. Well, then I found this church that's new in my hometown. It's new in the last two years. The first church that's been planted in my hometown since my family moved there 43 years ago. And so I showed up the next morning. Long story short, I ended up talking to the pastor. He said, you know, I would pray. I would read my Bible. I would talk to people about Jesus. I would fast. I would try to have good spiritual disciplines and stay away from sin and stuff. And when I burned myself out, I thought, man, I got to double down on this stuff. So instead of spending an hour in prayer, I spent two hours in prayer. And I read twice as much scripture. And I tried to do everything I could to share my faith with people. And I would fast twice as much. And by the time I got done doing all this stuff so that I could be a good pastor and a good person worthy to teach others, I was, I was destroyed. I was burned out. And I finally said to God, and now I just met this pastor literally seven days ago right now. And this past week, we got together and talked. And he said, I finally said to God, I'm, God, I'm done. I'm down 50 pounds. I said, what'd you do again? Tell me what you did again. <laughs> How many pounds? He says, I, I, I'm done. I'm just, and he was just a shell of who he had been. And God said, so you're done. And he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. He's like, well, good. Good. As he related it to me, God spoke to his heart and said, well, good. Now all you have is me. Now all you have is me. And he said, slowly, over the next year or two, he began to study his Bible in Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 5. And he began to study this concept of grace, how God would be gracious to us and God would forgive us and it wasn't about our performance. It wasn't about our obedience. It wasn't about all the, the boxes we could check off. But it was simply receiving the forgiveness of God and receiving the love of God and living in the grace of God. Sometimes we're saved by grace, then we live by the law. But we're saved by grace from the law. And we're saved by grace and we live by grace. And he learned to live by grace and his life was changed. And his ministry was changed. And that eventually led him to starting that church and preaching this message of grace to people who really needed to hear it. So in this passage, we see, we see Luke including this, I almost said Paul, not Paul. Luke includes this passage, not the woman with the expensive ointment, but the woman who's the outsider. The woman who 
the religious people didn't want to be a, have, them, have her be a part of their, their scene, their lives, their reputation. And Jesus, or Luke is showing us how in Jesus' kingdom and in Jesus' teachings, the outsiders were brought in. The outsiders were brought in. The centurion earlier, um, we, we had the, uh, um, oh, the widow's son. Uh, Jesus is teaching us to love our enemies. Uh, so, the, so the Gentiles, and now we've got this, this woman who had had a reputation, and Jesus brings her on the inside, and she comes in to worship him. And we have to ask ourselves, um, how, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we more like Simon, the Pharisee, or are we more like the woman, desperate to show, his lo- show her love for the one who's forgiven her? My good friend Rob, he and I some years ago were roommates in college, so, and we've been best friends since we were 20 years old and uh, have followed each other all these years. He's a pastor in Philadelphia. A couple years ago, I got to visit him, first time in their new building, and uh, I got to finally visit after eight years. They were in their new building, and while I was there for a service, he pointed out this young lady to me, and he said, see that lady over there? I said, yeah, she's on our tech team. Her name is Sue. She's got all kinds of struggles in her life, Jeff. And he started to tell me. He said, but she's here. She's here and she's gutting it out and she's really trying. And our church is showing her love. So recently, we have done these long-form conversation podcast episodes with some of you telling your story. Well, at my buddy Rob's church, they do these short-form, short videos telling people's life story. They just put one up about a month and a half ago and I noticed, and I texted him, I said, Rob, is this Sue, the one you introduced me to? And he said, yeah, it's the same one. I want you to watch this because Sue is not unlike the woman that we see in this passage. And I just want you to monitor your internal responses as you listen to her. So listen to Sue's story with me. Hello, my name is Susanna Reels, and this is my story. Growing up wasn't really easy for me. I had a depression I never shared with nobody. I was broken so much, but I just kept all that hurt in me and everybody just seen a smile. I started building a lot of anger in me. Little things just kept bothering me and picking at me. And when I was in fourth grade, that's when I experienced cutting myself. I would do it to take away my anger. I would do it to take away my pain. I would do it to take away what's reality. It just takes away the pain that you're feeling. But in the next morning when you wake up, You just look and you have a whole bunch of scars. After high school, I finally came out that I was gay. I got into this relationship that I had no business getting into. This relationship was bad, emotional, physical, and I still would cut myself and this girl would just be like, do it harder, just kill yourself already. So then I started experiencing more pain. And I would laugh everything off and I always would have a smile on my face. But when the night comes, my head would just start, and then that's when I started cutting myself. But the crazy part about it is, after all of that, at night, I would never go to bed without praying. And I kept praying and praying. And I had asked God to send me this angel to help me. A month later, he introduced me to someone. And to this day, I said, that's my angel. One morning out of nowhere, I woke up, called her, where are you going? She's like, it's Sunday, I'm going to church. Came to church with her. 
walking and my chest is pounding. Before that, I went to a church. When I walked in, the way I dressed, you could tell that I'm gay. This older lady looked at me and she said, eso no de Dios, meaning that's not godly. After that church experience, I never went back to church again. So walking in my chest is pounding. And in my head, I'm like, oh, brother, another place to get judged. But it was just, it was cool. I couldn't believe that I could go to church the way I dress, the way I look. And not everyone was staring. Not everybody was like, look at that, look at that. No, everybody was just welcoming. Everybody was happy. But at the end of the day, I still got that emptiness in me. At the end of the day, I still struggle with anger, with bitterness, with madness. I see these videos, and they happy. Yes, that's their story. But at the end of the day, by coming to church and giving yourself to Christ, is it going? Is that it? That's it? You're going to live a happy ever after? And it doesn't work that way. Because right now, I'm in a struggle of a lifetime. Right now is the worst season ever. But the difference between coming to church and if you were to mess two years ago, I still have behind my head, God is good. He got me here this far. But he got a long, long way to work with me. And what do you think? You get to the end of that and you're like, man, I, I wish I had a little more information. What's up with Sue? Where's she at? Like, what's her life about? Is she going to make it? You know, two years ago, Rob was so excited to introduce me to her. He's like, Jeff, Jeff. Yo, yo, Jeff. Yo, yo. And if you're from Philly, you got to say yo. Jeff, this, she is going through so... Here's what she's been dealing with. And, and, and the, my church family has just embraced her. My church family has been there for her. My church family has not rejected her. My church family has brought her in and let her know that she belongs. She belongs to us, and we're going to love her. And they're loving her well. And he was so excited to tell me that. And I am excited to tell you this morning, one of the things that I've, I've realized since coming to Newton, since coming to Community Heights, was that this church is that kind of a church. It's the kind of a church that will welcome people who, who may be different than the typical churchgoer, who may not have it all together. Of course, the inside story, right, is we know none of us do, but this is that kind of a church. And my prayer is that we would always be that kind of a church that welcomes people who are hurting and broken and frustrated and, and seeking God. Here's a girl who was cutting herself every night in, in, this, in this life that was for her, her own little nightmare, and yet every night she was asking God, help, help, help. God sent help. We think that people, because they don't go to church every, every Sunday, would we think that, that they don't pray, that they don't ever think about God? But we know God is working in people's hearts, right? His Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts, drawing people to himself. And we have to be the kind of a church and this is what I've heard. Now, I've only been around for eight months, but I've heard this historically over the years. This church has been that kind of a church that would welcome people with open arms, that would embrace them where you could belong before you believed. So you could belong, and then maybe you believe, and then you become a believer. But you don't have to believe first. You don't have to have all the, check, all the boxes checked before being part of this family. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and Sue, Sue 
exemplifies that to me, and, I, and I've talked to Rob about her and her story. There's so many that are in that church. They're in Northeast Philadelphia, so they've got a million people to draw from, and a lot of hurting people are there. But you listen to this, this woman, and Simon would say, hey, 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 what about holiness? What about righteous living? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? We're to please God with righteous lives. What about that? Well, just a couple little things here, four things. The holy lifestyle, this isn't one of the four. The holy lifestyle doesn't come when we try harder. I talked to you about Pastor Derek. Derek was his name from last week. Pastor Derek tried real hard. He was doing it. He was doing it, but it brought him emptiness and pain. But a holy lifestyle comes when we understand who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? What does being in Christ mean for us? You know, it means that we're loved. It means we're forgiven. It means that we already are righteous, that we're clean, that we're accepted by God, that we become a child of God. It means dozens of things. And when we go through the New Testament, we understand who we are in Christ. That's the first step to a holy lifestyle. The second thing is we realize how much we've been forgiven. Not, not we just heap the sin on ourselves and keep it heaped on ourselves, but we realize the load of sin has been taken off of us. We realize how much we've been forgiven, and he's replaced our sin with his righteousness. Number three, we, we, we receive God's love for us. We receive the love of God. You know, it may be there. It may be available to us. I know that some of us right now here in this room this morning are not receiving God's love. And to varying degrees, right? What is standing in the way, right? Our own self-doubt, our own self-loathing, our own low self-esteem, our misunderstanding theologically about what forgiveness really is. Because when we can't even forgive ourselves, how are we going to believe that God can forgive us? But when we truly understand and believe that God does forgive us, that he does love us, that's the first step to loving ourselves, and it's the first step to actually receiving a holy lifestyle. Because when we just try harder, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And lastly, just practice loving him and others. When we practice, when we understand who we are in Christ, we understand how we've been forgiven, and when we receive his love and then we practice loving him and practice loving others, we don't have as much time to sin. We don't have as much time or passion to do the things that displease God. But when we just make it our goal, I am just going to, God, I am going to please you. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to be good. That's not a good enough motive. It's really not. See, this woman came to Jesus because she was changed, because she was loved. Because in her life, she was being abused and exploited by men. And here comes a guy who doesn't abuse and doesn't exploit her. Here comes a guy who gives her life. Here comes a guy who gives her worth. Here comes a guy who gives her respect, whose teaching gives her hope. And she returns all of this blessing with whatever she could, with this ointment, with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair. Do you want to be like Simon the Pharisee? Or do you want to be like this woman? 
who out of receiving the abundance from God has it then to give back to God. And when she came, she could have said, I'm not going in there until Jesus comes out. All those righteous do-gooders, all those holier-than-thou types, I'm not going in there. She didn't even care who was in there. She just wanted, she knew Jesus was in there. That's the only one she cared about. And she was going to go in and love him and worship him and praise him. That's what she wanted to do. She didn't care who else was there. So, Community Heights, will you be like Simon the Pharisee or will you be like the worshiping sinner? The woman whose sin was forgiven and she was made clean. There was this letter that was given to, uh, actually it was sent to Pastor John um, and he shared it with me. So it was written last week. Maybe, maybe you wrote it. I don't know. It's not signed. But you used one of the message note things, and it, it says this. It says, a question for Pastor John. Now, if you were here to hear his message last week, this might make a little more sense to you. A question for Pastor John. When you lived in the apartments by the cemetery, why didn't you minister to all the lost there? Newton has a serious drug problem and all the Christians go elsewhere to help others. Why? The devil has a stronghold on Newton. I wonder if there's any pastor that's not afraid to tackle Newton's darkness. And then the last line says, I feel like I am all alone out here. You know, here's a person who has a heart for people, right? Here's a person who has a heart for the community that the community that they live in they're sensitive to the suffering and to the struggles and they're praying to God that their church is the same way feels the same way and they see things and they're they're uh uh not congruent and uh you know we're going to El Salvador why are we going to El Salvador when there's problems here well the answer is both and right? We need to be addressing the issues here. I'm thankful for this kind of a reminder, for this kind of uh, insight that somebody has to remind us again, let's not go to another country to do what we don't do here. So I'm thankful that one of our pastors is, um, is on the board at some place like Discover Hope that deals with a lot of people suffering with addiction and hopelessness and, and issues like what are, are represented in this letter. I'm, I'm grateful that one of our elders regularly attends the, some meetings at Discover Hope to build relationships and to minister to people there. I'm grateful that our small groups uh, go and serve. Uh, I think it's on one of the weeknights, maybe Tuesday night, serve meals to people that are at Discover Hope. That's a start. That's a start, Right? All those things are a start. I'm thankful that we've got people in our congregation that employ others, that care deeply about their employees and about what their lives are like and whether or not they have health care and whether or not their needs are being met and their spiritual condition. These are all starts. But, but it's not, we're not going to hit a destination here. We're always on the journey. We're always on the journey of ministering in our community of helping others. But, but here's a person who wrote this. I would love to talk to this person just to get their insight and their perspective. 
because we need this kind of insight and perspective. But here's a person who I don't think would fall into the role of Simon the Pharisee. I don't think this person would have been there and would have been condemning this woman. This person probably would have been watching in amazement and gratefulness that a woman like this, Jesus reached a woman like that. And for us here this morning, the truth is, Jesus reached a person like me and a person like you. Because we're all the worst of sinners, by the way. We're all the worst of sinners. And we all need the forgiveness that God gives to us. So I love this passage. I love this woman's story. She's an outsider. And, and Luke, as Luke is going through here, Luke is building the case that Jesus' kingdom includes the outsiders, includes the people that socially are on the lower part of the social structure. Jesus' kingdom includes them. In fact, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom majors on them. And this woman's story is just another story in that teaching. So this morning we're going to take communion. I want to just invite up the people that are going to help serve this morning. And I want to remind us that when we take communion, we are remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the very things that this woman would have known nothing about yet. Nothing about. Yet she believed in Jesus, this Messiah who came, preaching this gospel of the kingdom. She believed this Jesus even before he went to the cross. We have hindsight, right? 2020, right? We look back and we see what Jesus did. And we do this, we do this about every month to remember, to remember. It's a service and a time of remembrance that the very thing that we have to believe, the body and blood of Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for us is what we celebrate as we take this. So we're gonna pass, uh, in just a moment after I pray, we're gonna pass this out kind of all together and then we're gonna take it all together at the same time. But if you're here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, this is an opportunity for you to take it. And if you don't understand a whole lot about that, but you're seeking God and you want to take it, you take it too. Because in taking this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming it. So I want to invite you to take it and to consider the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. So let's pray together, and then we're going to take it together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us through Christ. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the, the shed blood of Jesus, the sacrifice, who was the, the completely sufficient, satisfactory, over-the-top sacrifice for all of our sins. We give you thanks. And as we take this communion this morning, we're remembering his physical body, the God-man Jesus, who suffered and experienced pain and loss and rejection and humiliation for us. We remember that this morning, God. And we, we, we remember the blood of the God who sacrificed himself for us. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us put our own name in the blank realize that Jesus did this for Jeff. Jesus did this 
for each one of us. Your shed blood, your sacrificial offering on the cross, that it was for us. We remember it this morning as we take it this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.